0: All right, so we're going to be in the Gospel of John this evening. Taking the Gospel from both, on both Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights now. Can't get enough of Jesus, right? But we're going to be in chapter 13 this evening. We're going to start a short series, which I'm calling The Last Night. John chapter 13 through 17, also called The Upper Room Discourse. Classic passage of Scripture in which the Lord teaches us, his disciples, some intimate truths. And so my prayer is that as we spend some time in these chapters over the next couple weeks, that the Lord will really draw us near to himself and minister to us. And so we're going to be in John 13 tonight and looking at verses 1 through 17 in a study I'm calling Triple H, and you'll see why. It's pretty happy. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for, Lord, the encouragement Lord, that you have risen us from the dead. And that, Lord, regardless of the state that we find ourselves in, Lord, whether we, or, you know, maybe at a sleep state, Lord, and, and, and you're calling us to awake again, Lord, we thank you that you have given us the power, Lord, to, to rise up, Lord, and to, to stand in victory, to walk in victory. And so, Lord, we need that continual reminder, Lord, and, and, and what a good reminder that is. And so, Lord, may your spirit fill us and overflow us and empower us Lord. refresh us or that we can be the dynamic disciples that you want us to be in Jesus' name, amen. So here's a rather morbid question, but I thought it's fitting to ask. If you knew that you would die tomorrow and you still had strength and energy, what would you do tonight? Well, we know what Jesus would do. And no, it was not to go skydiving Rocky Mountain Climbing, or to go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Um, My my wife told me to say, I guess country fans in the house, right? (laughs) Rather, Jesus on his last night before his death gathered his disciples so he could teach and prepare them for the work that God would have for them, both in and through them. Now, this teaching, as I said, is... His really his last time with his disciples, his last night before he would go to the cross. And it's recorded in John chapter 13 through 17, traditionally called the Upper Room Discourse. Now, while these five cha- chapters probably took place within less than 12 hours, the illustrations, principles, and teachings that we learn in these chapters will affect our lives for all eternity. I mean, think about it. I mean, these things happen probably over a course of only a couple hours but yet the truths in them are are, are very powerful. They were powerful to disciples you know, as they walked with the Lord, but they're even more powerful to us because we have the written word of God and the Lord wants to instill these things in our hearts. And so as we walk with the Lord, the Lord through his spirit wants to continually take us back to that upper room with the disciples to remind us of these things so we can represent our Lord. So let's jump right in and take our place with Jesus' 12 disciples and see what the Lord will have to say us and so as I said, we're going to start with chapter 13 tonight. And from this chapter, we're going to learn three lessons. Those three lessons are humility, holiness, and happiness. And so, first in verses 1 through 5, we see an illustration of humility. It says, "Now before the peace of uh, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end." And so John now is really beginning a new section of this gospel. If you're reading through, you would see a definite change here, change of focus. And he begins this new section by setting the background of the events that are going to take place in this upper room. First, he begins with the timing. He says, it was before the feast of Passover. Now, this meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples was a special Passover meal that took place on Thursday evening, which, according to the Jewish calendar, was actually kind of the beginning of Passover. It was gonna be on Friday. And it's important to note this because Jesus actually died on Passover, on Friday, the same time that the Passover lambs were being slain for the sins of the world. And Jesus, fulfilling that type that day, on Thursday night, celebrated the actual Passover meal with his disciples. Now, we're given another time indicator here. We're told that it took place when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father. If you read John's Gospel, you see a mention always, a, a number of times uh, that Jesus knew his hour and that he knew that his time had not yet come. Some seven times we see this mention. And really what it shows us is that Jesus lived on God's divine timetable. Jesus knew that there would be a tower, an hour, a time in which he would glorify God through the cross. And then three days later, he would rise again from the dead. And yet over and over and over throughout the gospel, people tried to encourage him to kind of speed that hour up. He turned to his mother and John 2 and says, woman, my hour has not yet come. You know, and and his disciples were afraid to go um, see Lazarus. And he said, hey guys, I'm not worried because as long as I'm walking in the light, I know that God has his hand on me. My hour has not yet come. And so Jesus knew his hour was now coming. He's lived his whole life up to this hour, and now finally the Father is going to, to work it out, and so he's, so he's moving that way, and so the last thing he wants to do is gather his own to himself and teach them these precious truths. It's important for us, you know, as we work through these things, to learn some of these things from Jesus. And you know, it's important to understand that as a disciple of the Lord, he does have a plan and a will for our life. He does have our days numbered, the Bible says. And that's what Moses said, Lord, teach us to number our days and, and to count them special because the Lord does have a definite hour for us. And until that time, we're to glorify God. We're to represent him and we're to live to our fullest and, and, you know, and allow the Lord to do his work through our life. So Jesus knew this time was coming. And so he's going to take this time to do something personal, give some illustrations and examples to his disciples. Now notice John closes this verse here with a personal note. Of what he experienced in Jesus' ministry, he says that Jesus loved his own to the end. He loved them to the end. Now, this phrase, love to the end, could also be understood as he loved them to the fullest extent. A person on earth cannot love a person more than Jesus loved his disciples. And when John was looking back on this ministry of Jesus, probably writing somewhere around the 90s AD as an old man now, looking back, he says, man, Jesus loved us to the end. That's what he remembered about Jesus' ministry as the Spirit drew him back and gave to his remembrance all things. It was a pure love that Jesus had for them, whether it was through his teaching, whether it was through his labor of serving them and breaking this bread and, and ministering to them, whether it was through this example of washing their feet, whether it was through the labor and the beatings of going to the cross or whether it was the time after he rose again from the dead in which he sat with them on the seashore and broke bread you know, and, and taught them and as they watched him ascend into heaven. All this was, was just a really, you know, a great example of the fact that Jesus loved them and this love doesn't stop. You and I are the Lord's disciples now as we're gonna learn in John 17. He prayed for us. He is gonna tell the Father, Father, I pray for them who, you know, have come to me and believed in me but also pray not only for them, but for those who will come to know me through their ministry. And so you and I, we're in this group and the Lord continues to love us to the end. I like that. Because a lot of times we can find ourselves in the disciples' shoes. You know, oftentimes we put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. Well, we should really put ourselves in disciples' shoes because that's who we are. Sometimes we speak out of turn. We do things that, you know, that jump the Lord, you know, jump the gun kind of thing, as Peter did often. We mess up, we make mistakes, we're prideful, we're arrogant, we need correcting. But yet through all this, the Lord never gives us on, you know, give up on us. He, he always loves us and he'll, he'll love us to the end. So the good news is the, the, you know, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Despite our weaknesses, he remains the same. Verse two, and the supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So another important piece of information John gives us before he gets into this actual illustration is he points out that Judas has already given his heart over to the deception and temptation of Satan. Satan has fired these fiery darts at Judas, but he had no shield of faith, as we're, as we're gonna learn as the other disciples. And so because of that, he, he gave in. He wasn't a believer. He wasn't clean as the other disciples were. Some believe maybe Satan was, was there during this time, but you know, all we're told here is that Judas gave himself over to these things. We're gonna talk more about Judas next week because he's, you know, he's really interesting as far as someone who can spend three and a half years with Jesus and yet go out two by two and see the Lord do all these amazing miracles, but yet in the end not believe and yet have his heart deceived by Satan to um, turn away from the Lord. But it's important that John points this out here because Judas is gonna be one of the people that Jesus washes their feet. He's gonna be one of these guys that Jesus actually washes his feet. And so it really illustrates the humility of Jesus. It's like taking the example of Jesus as a diamond and putting it against a black cloth. I and mean, it stands out even more because it's gonna show us that, yes, we're to walk in humility towards believers, but sometimes we have to walk in humility towards unbelievers, And that's where sometimes it gets difficult, right? As we walk in humility towards unbelievers. But Jesus did even that. Judas was there and Jesus loved him to the end and and he was able to minister to him. Verse three, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and he had come from God and was going to God. John uses this phrase not to tell us that Jesus just now figured out who he was. No, he tells us this to remind us of who Jesus was. He's gonna say, okay, well, you're gonna read verses four and five, but before you read verses four and five, you need to understand that Jesus was doing this in full knowledge of, of exactly who he was, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God of very God, the one who spoke the universe into existence. John spent his whole first chapter of, uh, of his gospel saying how God created all things through Jesus, and now he's gonna tell us that Jesus was willing to humble himself here and do this act of washing his disciples' feet. Verse four, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, as most of you have heard and can even imagine, um, you know, this was the job of the lowest servant. You know, we, you know, we all know this. And there was no lowest servant there at this time. This was a special meal set apart for Jesus and his disciples. And so there was no lowly servant there. There was only Jesus and them. Jesus coming in realized that nobody had washed their feet. And so he's going to use this as an opportunity to illustrate his love for them, but also illustrate how they're to walk as his disciples. Now, no doubt everybody's attention was on Jesus during this feast, right? You know, he's the Lord. He's sitting at the head of the table there. And all of a sudden the Lord gets up and all their disciples, their eyes get up, you know, and they follow Jesus over. As he arises, he lays aside his garments and they're kind of watching. Okay, he's laying aside his garments. That's interesting. Now he's taking a towel and he's girded himself. Oh, this is getting even more interesting now. And, and, and the way John kind of lines it out, it's, it's actually as if they're kind of just watching him studying. Like, what is he doing? He takes this pitcher of water in this basin and he begins to pour it. And then he goes around and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel in which he was girded. Now, as we're gonna see, this is gonna blow the disciples' minds. This was the job of the lowest servant. And the Lord is gonna take this opportunity to illustrate to them how they're to walk in the church age. You see, the disciples up to this point had been arguing who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Lord, am I gonna be at your right hand? Am I gonna be the greatest in your kingdom? So really, what's it gonna be like for me to be next to you in your kingdom, being the greatest? And the Lord, knowing all that, is preparing them for the church age in which they are gonna go into all the world and preach the gospel and represent him. And the way they were to represent him was to be a humble servant, serving others, laying down their lives for others. Now this is how the Lord demonstrates his, his true greatness. Now we're gonna see the instructions on this in verses 13 through 17. But for now, you can just imagine the disciples awe as he did this. Now you can also imagine heaven's awe as they saw the Lord actually fulfill this. You see, this was an illustration of the Lord's life in general, because Jesus himself, as we know, is the second person of the Trinity, God of very God. And this illustration here actually represents what he did in becoming a man. Paul says that in Philippians 2, 5-8. We said it in our studies in Philippians, but I'll read it again. Paul said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so here's Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and he chose to humble himself, to take this position as a servant, to set aside the prerogatives and the you know, rights of deity that he had and to choose to take a human body through the, you know, through the virgin birth and come to this earth and live as the God-man. He lived surrender to the Father's will, not seeking his own, but only the Father's will to do all those things which please the Father. And he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so this illustration, this humility is really a representation of his entire life. This is who our Lord is. This is who our King is. And this is how we're to approach the Lord as his disciples. The Lord says, it's not by degrees, it's not by knowledge, it's by humility. The Lord, you know, he exalts the humble in his kingdom. Those who Jesus said are to be greatest in my kingdom are to be the servants of all. He said, the Gentiles, they lorded over people. He said, but not so among you. Those, who, those of you that seek to be greatest in my kingdom need to be the servant of all. So as we approach the Lord, as we spend time with him, he wants to teach us about being humble, about laying down our lives for others, to seek God's will before our own will. Second in verses 6 through 11, we learn how to walk holy as disciples. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So the other disciples were probably shocked at this act of Jesus but it was Peter who actually spoke up. And so, the, you know, no doubt these other guys were looking around each other kind of thing. And Peter, by the time the Lord got to Peter, maybe he was at the end of this U-shaped table that they sat at. But by the time they got, you know, by, by the time Jesus got to Peter, Peter spoke up. And he said, Lord, you know, what are you doing? Are you, are you gonna wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. And so he was, he was shocked. He, he wanted to not allow the Lord to, you know, the Lord to do this because he knew exactly who the Lord was. He knew that Peter was to be the servant and Jesus was the master. He believed that this was below Jesus and therefore he didn't want the Lord to do this. Now, notice how Jesus responded. He said that if Peter didn't allow him to do this, he would have no part with him. And so Jesus is the master teacher. And I believe that he took this time now to illustrate another concept, another truth from this passage. He began with humility, teaching them about being servants. Now he's moving into talking about sanctification and, and holiness. So the Lord comes to Peter here, and he began to wash feet. Peter. Peter said, no, Lord, you're not gonna do this. And Jesus says, well, Peter, then you have no part with me. And he's gonna go on illustrating him now about the Christian life and how we're to stay close to the Lord and how the Lord continually cleanses us and wash us as we, as we walk with him. Now look at Peter's response. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. therefore he said, you are not all clean. And so Peter did love Jesus and he wanted to please him. And when Jesus said, unless you allow me to wash you, you have no part with me, Peter said, well, in that case, well, then give me a bath. You know, if you wanna wash me, okay, Lord, let's go for it. Okay, I'll start with my hands, and then you can do my head, and then, then my feet. After that, let's just, you know, do the whole bath. And the Lord said, no, Peter, you're missing the point here. He said, you are completely clean because of your faith, meaning that because you believe in me, you're saved. And so the disciples even before they had a full understanding of the fact that Jesus would die on the cross and rise again from the dead, they were looked at as saved. This is a dispensational truth here, right? And so showing that, that they were saved by faith in the Lord in the revelation that, that, that he gave them. Now, obviously in the church age, we look back at the Lord's death and resurrection at the gospel of grace as the means of salvation. But throughout the Bible, the, the means for salvation has always been faith alone. And the object has always been God's revelation that he has revealed to them. So they were looked at as saved by the Lord, but not Judas. All of you are clean, but one, that was Judas. And so because they were saved, they didn't need to be re-saved. Rather, they only needed their feet washed. And the illustration here is of a person who goes to a public bath. You know, they had public baths in those days. And so, you know, they would get clean, but as they would walk home, their feet would get dirty. And so they needed their feet cleansed. In the same way for you and I as believers, you see, we're saved, we're cleansed by the Lord. We're we're born again. But yet, as we walk through this world, we pick up dirt, right? And we need our feet cleansed. We we need the Lord to clean us. We we need the Lord to, to continually wash us. And that's what the Lord is illustrating to Peter here. He takes this moment as a master teacher to pull this truth out and to teach them an important lesson about staying close to him so he can minister to them. Now, how does the Lord cleanse us today? Is he washing our feet? Literally? Well, as we all know, no, he's not. But he washes us through a number of different things, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is illustrated by water in the Bible. Jesus said, from the abundance of your heart shall flow rivers of living water. Also, the word of God is described as a cleansing water. In Ephesians 5, we're told that we're to, you know, it, it says, talked about the washing of the water of the word of God. And so the word of God has a cleansing effect. How shall a young man cleanse his way, Psalm says, by taking heed according to the word. The confession of sin to the Lord. In 1 John 1, 9, talks about cleansing. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So which one is it? Well, I believe it's all of them as the Lord does this work in our life as disciples. As we spend time with the Lord, as we stay close to Him, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to convict us of our sins, to show us where we're off. And then as we realize these things, we we come to the Lord and we confess our sins, which means we agree with God that we're that we've messed up and and we turn from those things, the Lord continues to cleanse us and and wash us. It's that process of of spending time with the Lord. And the Lord's faithful about doing that. And so the way that we remain in this effective state as disciples, yes, is by being humble, but it's also by being holy. And the way of being holy is not by changing the way you look outwardly, it's by continuing to have your heart close to the Lord so he can continue to wash it and cleanse us. We all know that as we grow distant from the Lord, our heart grows right? hard and, and cold. The Lord wants us to draw us near as we spend time with him daily in the word and as he convicts us and, and minister to, you know, ministers to us. Third, in verses 12 through 17, we learn how to walk in happiness as a disciple. And so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assured I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. So after Jesus you know, taught the disciples about sanctification, after he finished washing their feet, he then sat down and then continued his teaching you know, as he began. Jesus begins with the que- began with the question. He said, do you know what I've done to you? And then he goes on and answers it. He explains to them by talking about his titles. He says, you call me teacher, Lord, and master. And that was right. He was that. He was exalted in their sight, but yet he, their teacher, Lord, master, was willing to humble himself and wash their feet. If he was willing to do that, then they were to follow his example and take the place of, a lowest, of the lowest servant and also wash others' feet. He said, okay, so you guys are arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom and you know I, I wanna be exalted above others. He said, well, who's the most exalted person you know? Me, your king, your lord, master, and teacher. Well, look what I've done to you. If I've done this to you, well, then you also ought to do this to others. Those who wanna be the greatest in the kingdom must be the servant of all. This is the truth that would follow them throughout the church age, that would make them the men of God that they would be. You know, those who criticize the church about saying, oh, all the church wants wants is money. All they wanna do is build a religion so they can exalt themselves above people. I look at those people and say, you never really read the New Testament. (laughs) You never really read the Bible very much. I mean, you know, because they followed Jesus' example as they lived this life of, of sacrifice, of, of humility, as they poured out their lives for others. Jesus gave them this example and they were to follow it. Verse 17, it's a precious verse here. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Knowing them is one thing. It's important to know them. We're studying it but it's another thing to actually do it. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you do these things. Now, the word blessed, as most of you probably know, means happy. Oh, how happy. I believe that the Lord is teaching us here that we can have joy and satisfaction and follow in his example of living a humble life submitted to him and his Father's will. You know, the world is looking for happiness or looking for satisfaction. And the Lord said, it's real simple. It's by living humbly. Our flesh thinks, no way, it's by being exalted. That's how I'm gonna be happy. And the Lord says, no, it's by living humbly. And it's the same truth he illustrated in in the Sermon on the Mount, another discourse he taught. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, how happy, oh, how happy. Happy is the one who follows these teachings of the Lord. Blessed is that man. Not only will we live a happy life, content life, but yet we'll also be blessed in the end. One day we're going to stand in front of the Lord's reward seat and we will be exalted in front of the Lord. Now I want to close with one last verse from the apostle Peter. Peter was the one who objected to the Lord washing his feet, but later in his life, he realized exactly what the Lord taught him because he wanted to live it out and then pass that on to others. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, five through six. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that, you may, that he may exalt you in due time. So here is Peter, right? Lord, you're never gonna wash my feet. You're too good for that. Well, at the end of Peter's life, as he wrote to the believers, he says, hey guys, Look back at what Jesus did. Be clothed with humility as he remembers the Lord here from this night, wrapping himself in this towel and going around and serving others. And then he gives the truth. Bless are those who follow these things. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble and he will exalt those in due time.